gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today, host Terry Wilkie speaks with her guest, Bill Moore, editor of EV World, human selected and curated. EV World has been bringing us the future in motion for over 25 years. EV World commenced publication officially on January 1st, 1998, with an objective to provide a human face to the topic of sustainable transportation with a focus on the people and policy as well as the product. EV World's publisher and editor-in-chief is J. Williams Bill Moore. Bill is a former minister who left the clergy to pursue a career in journalism and marketing. He became involved in the internet in 1993, launching his first website in September 1994. Three years later, he started EV World and has published it continuously since then. EV World has introduced hundreds of guests, published literally more than 30,000 articles and news releases, and literally reached millions of readers, listeners, and viewers every year. EV World has helped contribute to to the now steady electric vehicle revolution that is taking place in the transition away from fossil fuels and the internal combustion engine to cleaner, quieter, super efficient, and just plain more fun to drive electric vehicles of all shapes and sizes, from land-based to seaborne to airborne and even the odd lunar and Martian rover. We at Eco Radio Casey are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present or a sustainable future. Before we begin, we want to thank listeners who showed support during our winter pledge drive. Eco Radio KC is produced weekly by KKFI volunteers. We bring you vital information underserved or ignored by mainstream media. KKFI is supported by our listeners. You can go to kkfi.org to show your support. This will be a great radio hour. Now, our show. All right. I hope I have Bill Moore on the phone. Bill, you want to say hello you to the do. Well, yes, good. I'm here. Technology, don't you love it? <laughs> we broadcast 100,000 watts per channel at KKFI. And I'm going to tell you, it's a complicated process. So I want to restate that intro a little bit. You launched EV World 25 years ago, just yep. as the first wave of electric vehicle rollouts were being introduced in California. And you've been privileged to meet and interview some of the early pioneers in the industry and covered EV conferences from Washington, D.C. to China and driven numerous prototype electric and hydrogen fuel cell cars and trucks so you're an active mobility advocate, and from this, you started 
EV World, which is a website, evworld.com, correct? That is correct, yes. And what did you do before this? Oh, wow. How far back into my history can I go? <laughs> Not um, grade school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I, as, as was said in the earlier introduction, I was, uh, got introduced to the Internet back about 1993. I was working for a, uh, an advertising agency. And then before that, uh, I worked for uh, Continental Airlines. Um, and then before that, all different things. So I've had a multifaceted uh, career. Well, when did you see your first electric car? Wow. Uh, first electric car had to be, let's see, I went down, hmm, I'm guessing it was in uh, San Francisco. Uh, there was a... Uh, an event that was being held where people, uh, where the car makers and other people who were interested in converting electric cars um, had them uh, at the old uh, Naval Air Station uh, on, uh, oh, God, what is the name of that island there in San Francisco? There's, Naval air, there's an old Naval Air Station there, and now they were using it for doing uh, testing of different technologies. Well, did you get a chance to drive one then, or when did you first drive an electric car? Oh, I think I did drive it. Now, you remember, we're going back more than two decades, so exactly. I remember one vehicle there. There was a guy who had uh, made a hot rod uh, that was electric, and uh, he took me around the track and scared the bejeebers out of me. Um I got to, uh, Chrysler had a, uh, one of their uh, minivans there that was electric. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Ford had their pickup truck. And, uh, so when did you? Had, uh, right. Yeah, so when, there, there were a number. That was probably one of the earliest. Well, when did you first buy to. one? What year did you buy an electric vehicle? Oh, boy. Oh, now, when we say electric vehicle, I'm going to include two wheels oh okay so i bought, Bikes, my, I yeah. bought my first mm -hmm. electric vehicle right around 19 i think 99 something mm -hmm. like that it was an electric bicycle mm -hmm. yeah those are great they that electric bicycle has really improved i mean i'm sure what you had then was great and scooters like european scooters they're often electric too aren't they they are now too yes that's the uh, I don't know if anybody is even uh, building uh, gasoline-powered ones anymore. Maybe Vespa, and uh, but you see that uh, uh, pop the scooters are very popular not only in Europe but especially um, popular in India, and uh, that's the focus there is to uh, get people to ride electric scooters uh, instead of the gas ones that they have. So I have to apologize for my voice. Uh, over overnight, I came down with something, and uh, I'm running a slight fever, so I, I sound a little squeaky, but I hope we can get through with no problem. Right. Well, I hope so, too. I'm sorry you don't feel well. It's that time of year. Yeah, it is. And um, you referenced India, where they do rely a lot on electric vehicles. And those appear to me to be rather golf carts. That's the first electric vehicle I ever drove. 
I used to caddy uh, for my well, father yes, and drove that. That would, uh, that would be a um, that you could consider that an electric vehicle, the golf cart. So, and they sure go. I mean, they will go up and down hills, across land, and when you take yep. your foot off the feed, they stop. <laughs> I'll never right. forget. Yep. I'll never forget that. You don't really need to worry about brakes so much for them unless you happen to be on right. They, yeah, that's, that's called regenerative braking. So, yeah, that's that's a very interesting thing. Now, currently, it, now that we have tw- thirty years of history of electric vehicles in the United States, we have oh, it goes back goes back even further than that. Right. So the one third of all of the cars on the road. In the United States, in 1900, were electric. Wow! So it was very popular, and uh, they're particularly focused on lady drivers because they didn't have to get out and crank it you know, up, crank mm-hmm. them like you had to do the old Ford Model T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that in is fact, interesting. Mm-hmm. In fact, Henry Ford's wife drove an electric car. Well, they have real good go, and I don't see why a person wouldn't. Currently in the market, we have you can buy a foreign model. You can buy a domestic auto company manufacturer model. You can buy sedans, sports cars. I like Motor Week on public TV, and they can't get enough of testing that electric Porsche. Have you seen that electric Porsche go? <laughs> I mean to tell oh, well, you. Well, I've, I've read about it. I haven't. I haven't uh, seen one li- uh, recently. So, but I've read about it. They almost go too fast. If it would be interesting to see a race of electric vehicles, because those, I started to say engines. Those motors are really goers, aren't they? Well, the Tesla has their. Uh, Oh, what do they call that thing? The dual motor uh, with, um, oh, God's mind blank right now. But they, they recently drove one down the Autobahn in Germany and hit, hundred I think it was 163 miles or Isn't 166 that mm-hmm. miles an hour on the Autobahn. Yeah, on a street, yes. The Autobahn is just a road. It's not like a track, yep. yeah. That's amazing. And... Um, so to take it further, of course, there are buses. My community has electric buses. There are electric yes, I, trucks. I would like to congratulate Kansas City. Uh, the city has been uh, very progressive in that regard. And also, by the way, congratulations to the Chiefs. Yes, thank you. Got nothing that. to do with electric vehicles, but congratulations to the Chiefs. Well, we'll That's try incredible. to on Eco Radio, Casey. We'll try to work that in. We'll we'll get <laughs> some sort of uh, system going on that. Now then, um, I have seen electric vehicles at various electrical vehicle car shows that work as tractors in semi-truck yards and freight yards to move the empty trailers from place to place, and they're electric. So that's an amazing machine. I've seen electric cranes. Those are amazing machines. Now, you, yep. you referenced converted cars, and EcoWatch asks, can we convert all the existing gas cars to electric vehicles? Because oh, they keep yeah, telling us, a, you know, that we're not going to have gas, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
there are efforts being made to encourage that. Most of it at the moment is focused in Europe. Uh, there's a couple companies over that that are taking some of the higher value uh, cars like uh, Land Rovers and things like that and converting those over to electric. I, I don't know if that, that's, you know, that's somebody going to have to have to run the numbers. I mean, what, what, actually, one of the first converted vehicles besides the ones uh, there in California, one of the first converted ones that I uh, rode in was in Mexico City where a university professor and his students at the University of Mexico um, actually converted a Volkswagen uh, Beetle. And there are kits that allow you to uh, convert the Beetle over to electric. Well, Department of Energy says a vehicle with an internal combustion engine can be converted to an all-electric vehicle by completely removing the engine and adding a battery pack, one or more electric motors, high-voltage cables, and instrumentation. And, Bill, I saw that at the electric vehicle show in Lawrence, Kansas last summer. Young college students made, it was some kind of Plymouth sedan, an all-electric right. car. Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And actually, one of, the, uh, one of the earlier EVs that I saw was a... Uh, well, let's see, what is a Ford Ranger or a Chevy S10 that was converted by, I think it was one of the uh, local utilities down there over to electric. So, you, you know, Kansas City has, there, there's some fairly progressive people in their thinking down there. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. Now, we only have one more minute. You want to share with our listeners what you're driving right now? I am driving a 2016 Fiat 500E. I picked that up uh, off of a, uh, a lease out of California where they were, that's where they were only available, and brought it back here and have had it now for, oh, let's see, I bought it in, 19, uh, in uh, 2019, and I absolutely love it. It's just a great car for, uh, for running around town. Yeah, you have no interest in trading that, right? And do you have another electric vehicle? Uh, well, let's see. If I count my four electric bicycles. Yes, that's good. Mm -hmm. No, I have a Toyota Prius, too. Mm -hmm. So that just holds more cargo, I'm sure, the Prius. Well, yeah, and because it's really a gasoline engine with electric assist in it, you know, if you want to take a longer trip. My little Fiat only has a 24-kilowatt-hour battery. Uh, in terms of the size of a gasoline tank, uh, that's a, a roughly about a gas, about seven, uh, seven tenths of a gallon of gasoline. That's what that's what propels my car. That's the amazing. Equivalent of seven tenths of, ga of a gallon of gasoline. Mm -hmm. So it does about eighty-four miles, but that's fine for running around town. Okay, well we're going to take a short break, Bill, and we'll be right back. On cool. Friday morning. February 24th at 9.30, Understanding Israel-Palestine airs another episode in its series, The Nakba Project. Listen as Palestinian author Fida Jirius tells the story of her family's retreat to Lebanon and Cyprus and their return to Israel more than 20 years later. That's Understanding Israel-Palestine at 9.30 Friday, February 24th. I'm Dr. Anthony Leisowitz, and this is Climate Connections. 
Vermont has more miles of dirt roads than paved roads, and driving in winter can be treacherous. In Vermont, we see a lot of consumer interest in all-wheel drive vehicles and vehicles that they feel confident can handle the various driving conditions you might find in a rural place with dirt roads. Nick Nevariski is with VEIC. The nonprofit implements an energy-saving program called Efficiency Vermont. His team surveyed vehicle owners in the state. Three out of four said the ability to handle dirt roads and winter driving conditions is key, and a vehicle safety and reliability ranked as higher priorities than fuel efficiency or environmental impact. So Nevariski says it's important for electric vehicle companies and proponents to explain that many EV models can meet the needs of rural drivers. We see an increasing number of all-wheel drive vehicles available, and we see an increasing number of vehicles that do have the range that even in a rural environment can get people where they need to go. So he says electric vehicles are a viable choice even in Vermont. Consumers just need to understand that EVs can do more than reduce the use of fossil fuels. Yes, we know they have environmental benefit, and that's great, but they have so many other benefits, and I'd really like to see those brought to the forefront. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. This is Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC, and I'm lucky to be able to talk with Bill Moore this evening. Bill Moore is the editor of EV World. And, Bill, Let's take a minute to tell our listeners about EV World. Would you call it a news source? Well, at one point when I launched it, there were few public sources on electric vehicles. Most of them were based in California and were focused on um, commercial questions, things of that nature. And the reason I called it EV World, because I wanted to capture what was going on in a broader sense beyond California. Now, when I started EV World, I assumed that it would be an EV world in about two to five years. Um, I missed that by about a factor of, what, 10? <laughs> so, we're, so we're now getting to the point to where, um, you know, I watch television and there's car commercials for electric vehicles on television. Um, the uh, car companies are constantly announcing that they're rolling out. I think General Motors says they're coming out with uh, three new models uh, beyond the ones that they currently have uh, in 2023. Um, everywhere you look basically now, uh, there are, there's a movement to increase the, uh, the sales and utilization of electric drive vehicles. When I started EV World, it uh i had to i had to search long and hard to find 10 stories to post post links to and now uh typically i will go anywhere from 60 to as many as 200 stories in a day about electric vehicle technology and the politics around them and the financial issue interest and issues around them so yeah it's it's uh it only, you know, I only missed it by 20 years, but uh, it's happening now. Well, good thing you're not a bookie, but I wanted to, <laughs> any, anybody yeah. listening has got a computer. I happen to be sitting at a computer. And so I say evworld.com. And here comes this electronic 
I'd call it an, a newsletter or a news source. And it yeah, appeared- what, I, what, I, what I decided to do was, because I, I'm essentially a one-man operation still, um, what I decided to do was rather than try to compete with uh, other, you know, sources from the big judge Forbes and uh, Fortune magazines of the world down to the other sites that are focused on, you know, talking to and interviewing people. I used to do that, and what I decided to do was try to collect in one place all of the stories for a particular day that you can go through and see what's being written. Nobody was doing that. And so I wanted to uh, give people a sense of the scope and the, and the pace of technological change. And the best way to do that was to what I call find these stories, curate them, and put them in a database that people can search and then they can take and uh, you know, go over to where those, where those stories are. So it's more or less rather than being a, a reporter, uh, I've taken up the, uh, the position of being the guy that catalogs, if you will, and, uh, what's happening in the industry. And right, people do not have to subscribe because you can simply go to evworld.com and click on it. Yeah, and there's, no, there's, no, there's no paywall. Um, I do this uh, gratis. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's uh, an absolutely amazing site. I can't mm-hmm. do that, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, because one of my one of my frustrations is I'll come across a story um, that I think will be interesting to people, and increasingly every time I go there to follow see what that story is about, there's a paywall, and uh, so I wanted to avoid doing that and give people anywhere in the world exposure to uh, you know to the technology. Right, and we thank you for that. I'm telling you. So w- when I talk about the present. And I talk about the issues of electric vehicle use. The story at the top of your page today is the debate over how to tax electric cars road use in Australia. And so that's very interesting. That's a report from Australia. But that same phenomena is happening here, Bill, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, they... uh they were going to uh, try to pass a bill here in my state Nebraska. to uh, up the mm-hmm, fee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think uh, they have done that in Missouri already. Uh, they have uh, attempted. I mean, because, because electric cars don't use gas, they're not paying the federal excise tax on a gallon of gasoline. And they're so not paying the another, tax of the road tax. We need tax. to come up as a society, mm-hmm. as a government, to figure out how to justly and fairly get EV owners to pay their fair share. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that the policies that are being seen to be being acted are meant not to encourage EV ownership, but to discourage it. Uh, case in point, my little electric car, not only do I pay the normal, you know, taxes on them, I also have an additional fee of 70 bucks or 75 that I have to pay. Yet, when you consider how many miles I've actually driven, because I am retired and I don't, uh, I don't drive as much as I used to, that's way more 
I, you know, since I've had this car, I have driven it something like 10,000 miles. Um, so when you sit down and you figure out the cost per mile in terms of, you know, the, the what's being charged for gallons of gasoline, some of these states are just exorbitant in what they're, in what they're asking their EV owners to pay to the point to where if I were looking, I would think, nah, I don't know. If I want to buy one or not, because of, because every year I'll have to lay out this 400 bucks or whatever it might happen to be. When in actual fact, if you look at and you do the math on it, um, you know that's that's two and three times what they should be paying compared to what they're paying for their gasoline Ford F-150, for example. Well, I'll go ahead and stick my neck out, Bill. It appears to me that car manufacturers and governments, which are supported by the status quo, which is a fossil fuel system, are ramping up the charges, the costs of operating electric vehicles to dissuade people from operating electric vehicles. And I'm not surprised that they are trying to charge people a lot more for that because look at what they charge for gas and the profits that they make off the sale of gasoline. So th- th- this is just what they do. Uh, it's, yeah. it's curious. Uh-huh. Well, it's, you know, it's, the problem that, that the governments have is that they need, obviously we have roads and we need to keep those roads up. Um, so how do you achieve a balance that takes into consideration all of the factors that are associated with the operation of any vehicle? You know, you've got the air, you've got the air pollution that's coming out of internal combustion engines. That has a cost. They did a study in uh, California that found um, that I think it was like once it could, the community reached 20% saturation of electric vehicles compared to gas vehicles. The asthma cases in the emergency rooms in that community dropped. So you've got, you know, you've got the gasoline vehicles that are contributing air pollution, not to mention the CO2 and the climate um, change that's happening. Um, but at the same time, you've got electric vehicles that are heavier uh, than their counterparts. So you've got additional uh, wear and tear on the roads. Uh, you may not have the same amount of pollution, but, you know, you've got all of these factors that need to be taken into consideration. And so far, no, nobody's come up with a magic formula to do that yet. So I guess you and I agree that it's okay to charge electric vehicle drivers for the cost of maintaining the roads, in all fairness. And it's fair fairness. to charge them for a fair rate for the kilowatt hours that they draw for power. That's what everyone right. who operates a vehicle does. Everything is the same. But it's not fair to charge them more. And we've seen legislation like this with solar panels, for example, in Kansas. That went to the Supreme Court because the utility company was trying to charge people more for using less. Well, we're just right up against our next break now, Bill. And when we come back, I want to finish our discussion about the present state of electric vehicle operation, we need to discuss charging availability, uh, 
we need to discuss apartment dwellers, rural yeah. areas, whether people can charge there. I want to talk at great length about chargers, what's would be the best kind of charger to get. And uh, I'm sure someone like you can fill us in on all of that, right? Well, I'll try my best. Well, we'll take a short break and be right back. The Midwest Trust Center at Johnson County Community College has been a venue for the performing arts and arts education since 1990, welcoming audiences to performances that include blues, rock, jazz, classical, world music, comedy, and children's programming. The Midwest Trust Center, in support of KKFI, has a full list of events and accepts donations at jccc.edu slash Midwest Trust Center. Catch the local showcase every Thursday night on KKFI, where we highlight local musicians, poets, artists, and events from the Kansas City and surrounding areas. Curated and brought to you by a different KKFI host from week to week. That's the local showcase every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on 90.1 FM KKFI. Here's a calendar for the week of 2 2023. Registration has begun for Pedal Mo to support the Missouri Stream Team Watershed Coalition. Go to paddlemo.org. Tuesday, February 21st, 5.30 p.m. Growing Herbs is a live workshop at Kansas City Community Garden, 6917 Kensington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Growing fresh herbs in your own backyard is easy and it can be a wonderful complement to your vegetable garden. The workshop will cover all aspects of herb gardening with a special focus on the culinary herbs. For more information, go to kccg.org. Tuesday, February 21st at 6 p.m. Discover Nature Stroll is hosted by Missouri Department of Conservation at the Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center, 4750 Troost Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Enjoy the sights and sounds of nature with a stroll through the nature grounds and the gardens at Kaufman Legacy Park. Registration is required. The event is for ages 16 and older. To register, visit mdc.mo.gov. Wednesday, February 22nd, 6.30, Thomas Hart Bitten Group of the Missouri Sierra Club has its virtual book club meeting. More info at sierraclub.org. Saturday, February 25th, 1.30-3 p.m., Maple Sugaring is a live event at Burr Oak Woods Conservation Nature Center, 1401 Northwest Park Road, Blue Springs, Missouri. You can bundle up for an outside adventure and learn how to tap maple trees to make sugary syrup at a free maple sugaring workshop. To register, visit mdc.mo.gov. Stay involved. Check your local political groups for environmental issues. My name is Phil Bauer. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. This is Terry Wilkie, and I'm lucky to be able to talk to Bill Moore, the editor of EV World, tonight on the radio. So, Bill, we were talking about 
charging these electric vehicles. And there are great issues on charging availability. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think something like 40% of all households uh, live in multi-family dwellings. Uh, They don't typically own them. They're owned by a a landlord. Um, And where to charge those vehicles uh, becomes, becomes an issue. Um, even people that have, uh, can charge, let's say at home, they've got like, like me, I've got a nice garage. I can pull my car in, I can charge it, but I, I will be honest. It's not an, uh, inexpensive undertaking. Um, I recently, uh, had some electricians come in and finally give me, uh, 240 volts, uh, circuit out in my garage so I could charge my car, my Fiat at a faster rate, because up to this point, for the last three plus years, I've been charging that car on 110 volts. Now, because, uh, because of my lifestyle, that's, that's worked out fine for me because the charge, the car charges overnight and, uh, you know, there was no additional expense. <clears throat> but looking forward, I know that people are going to want homes that have that have you know faster charging capability. So uh, I laid out you know uh, I think it was sixteen hundred and thirty dollars to uh, have electricians run a separate circuit uh, so I can charge the car at a faster rate. And basically, it's cut my charging time in half now. Wow! And th- that has a special unit the the charger itself the plug-in for an electric vehicle is different correct that's the interesting part now i cannot speak for any other car maker but my fiat came because it was because it originates in europe where they 240 volts is very common that's how everything is run over there my car i just learned after getting on an internet forum uh, i was expecting i was going to have to go put in a level two charger for you know, seven, eight hundred, a thousand dollars, and uh, on the uh, the forum, the a gentleman came in and said, "You don't have to do that, because your charger with the right plug allows you to cut your charging time in half, and you use the charger that came with the car." So basically, all I had to do was uh, buy a. I think it would cost me twenty-seven dollars, a special adapter that goes between the charger. And the uh, 140 volt outlet, and that was my cost. Well, uh, Bill, my parent, my mother is from Nebraska. My grandparents lived in Nebraska, and my ears perked up when I heard the idea of saving a nickel. So, talk to us real slowly about what that is. What is a forum? How does one find these forums? Oh, well, you just basically go on to the Internet, go to Google or your favorite uh, search engine or chat box, and uh, say, find me owners, an owner forum of my particular model. And that's what I did. And I got in there and I posted on the forum and said, you know, can you guys advise me the best level two charger to uh, to use to, to acquire to, to charge my car at a faster rate? And they, uh, the couple gentlemen came in and said, hey, that charger that came with your car 
can operate as a level two charger. So uh, my ears perked up. I said, you mean I don't have to spend 700 bucks? <laughs> I can use the charger I'm using, and it proved true. So I can charge my car. Instead of it taking, let's say, nine hours to charge, I can charge the car in four hours. Now, cars coming out more recently, uh, Porsches, for example, um, can charge in Teslas, for example, can charge basically not in hours, but in minutes. And typically a half hour uh, is uh, not uncommon. And we are working on technology now uh, in the development laboratory stage to get that down to five minutes, which is essentially how much you would time you would spend to fill your gasoline vehicle. So we're making progress. You know, the industry is is quite aware of people's concerns about charging um, and where to charge. Uh, the federal government has a program where they're going to how long was it? Put install 500,000 fast chargers across uh, the interstate system uh, here in here in the United States. So we're seeing that. I think all of the states—Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa—all uh, have submitted their plans, and all of those have been approved. So it's a matter now of you know lining up the locations, lining up the uh, the installers, and uh, you know getting the wheels in motion to make that happen. Well, I know that that is one of the urban myths about having an electric vehicle, and I've been involved with my local electric vehicle showcase for five years or more, and one of my favorite aspects is to go around from car to car and ask people such questions as, what's the farthest you've gone? Have you ever driven to Chicago? Did you ever fear or actually run out of electricity? And I shall never forget, they were an, a middle-aged couple. They were a very nice couple. And they had something small, a Chevy Bolt, perhaps. And they drove it to Texas. And mm -hmm. so yep. the problem was the area was so vast. You. People with gasoline engines worry about, am I going to make it to my next gas station in Texas, right? And right. so the car is saying, you got to get a charge, you got to get a charge. And so she gets her little computer out, and she's looking around for the, the closest charging station. And they found one, and they had minutes to spare. Only minutes, okay, granted. But they never were stopped driving down from... Nebraska to Texas and spending a fun yeah. time with their family and coming back. Now then, a better charging network would be an answer. Tesla's got a beautiful charging network. It's yeah. as if they planned to have chargers available every so many hours. <laughs> it's as if this, they, they designed it with that in mind. And then the non-Tesla charging stations, they don't have such a intent they don't have such a charge um it's no they uh tesla, tesla uh was very smart in how they thought about their their system um so what, what's interesting is is that just last week uh, tesla agreed to open up 7500 of their chargers to non-tesla owners so you will be able if you don't own a tesla 
um, you know, you own a Volkswagen or you own a GM or Ford or whatever, you will be able to use uh, some, not all of them, but some of those those chargers. You'll need an adapter, of course. And I think there is an effort underway, the federal government, to try to standardize the uh, charging system so you won't need separate adapters and things. That will probably be an interesting political battle there. But uh, that's the goal eventually. So you have one charger, one charge port, you know, all of them fast, you know, relatively fast chargers. That's where, that's where we're headed. Right. right. The um, Inflation Reduction Act does give money to systems to build more charging stations and to have them available for more types of vehicles. And that's one of the current administration's goals is to have this yes. in place. Yep. And it will yeah, be very, very far. Right. Our, our future will be great. Uh-huh, yeah, our future will be great. So let's also say a few words about battery options. Now, at the same time, people are busy designing vehicle batteries that hold more charge, and yet they're physically smaller, and they hold it longer, and they're made of different materials. There are non-cobalt batteries, for example, using nickel instead. And there's lots of nickels, uh, not so much cobalt that's more expensive. That makes that vehicle much more expensive. Now then, have you had to replace your battery in your cars that you've had for several years? No, no. Now, my very first technically EV-powered car was back in 2000. You asked me what was my first one. My first one was a Honda Insight, a little uh, streamlined car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, after about, uh, what was it, 30,000 miles, that had to have the battery replaced. But remember, that's in, you know, in the very, very early stages of of development, those were nickel. I think they were nickel metal hydride batteries in that car. So, uh, so yes, that was under warranty. So it was not a it was not a cost to me. Most cars you can buy now have an eight year warranty on the batteries, um, unless you live in California. And in California, it's ten years. So, you know, I'm I'm my battery hasn't shown really any kind of serious degradation. Um. No, we haven't even talked about driving in winter and things because those are those are all issues uh, you know that people have to look at because cold weather does impact the batteries and the range. Um, it but, makes it uh, shorter. No, mm-hmm. I have, mm-hmm. but I have, I have not. Now, some people with with Nissans, the early Nissan Leafs, uh, did have to uh, have that happen, but uh, I have not. And in all fairness, speaking of weather, I live in Kansas and that wind, which is good environmentally because my electricity at home, I have a home, I would charge at home, it's 100% renewable. It's from wind resources. The utility company promises me that. (laughs) And so I would be able to drive a car and not be burning any fossil fuels at all, not even in the creation of the electricity, which is a beautiful no. thing for the planet. Yes, I, I agree with that. But the wind 
If you have a high wind, it will make your battery life shorter. Well, yeah, but that's that's if you're driving a gasoline car, you're using more gasoline too. So that's just you know, um, it just takes more energy, and particularly the faster you drive, the more energy uh, you consume. And that's true of an electric car. And that's true of a gasoline or a diesel car. I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, because the most recent press I have seen in the regular press about electric vehicles is that the Tesla software has been recalled because the self-operating electric vehicles operate themselves in dangerous ways. They don't go when they're supposed to. They don't stop when they're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, And well, I, I thought it was interesting that... Uh, the real co-founder of Tesla, uh, Martin Eberhardt, uh, just came out uh, this week criticizing, uh, you know, that what they call full uh, self-driving FSD. Um, they, you know, he says basically, pardon my language, he said he called it calls it crap. You know, it's not it's not ready for prime time, and so the uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Is uh, you know has initiated uh, and uh, you know basically ordered Tesla to uh, to take and, and recall and fix fix those software issues. So um, I, I I just don't you know I I would not want to be driving a self driving car. Um, I just I don't think that like like uh, you know Martin I don't think that that technology is quite ready yet. Well, it's dangerous, and I'll tell you the truth. I drive a 2008 Ford Focus, and for a skinny minute, I had a 2012 Ford Focus, which was higher-powered, and I thought, well, this is great. But the Ford Motor Company put a computer on a standard transmission housing in order to make a standard transmission operate like an automatic transmission, and the heck of that thing... It would go when it was supposed to stop. It would stop when it was supposed to go. I had a hair-raising ride to my Ford dealer to get this changed and replaced. And I filed with the National Highway Association. I don't recall that many people had problems with that particular Ford Focus. Ford had to call them all back and fix the computer and that's a gasoline engine. So that that kind of thing right. happens in the manufacture of automobiles. Yeah, um, no, the software is the hardest part. In fact, that's uh, Volkswagen has uh, you know they fired their CEO uh, and brought in another gentleman to uh, because their software development was not keeping pace, and so they are now uh, looking at how they can revamp the uh, the software i mean there are there are literally millions of lines of code i think i remember somebody telling me that there's more lines of computer code in the toyota prius and this was 20 years ago than there is in a, a boeing 70 boeing 747 that's amazing well um so it, bill i have really ahead. enjoyed talking with you i'm sorry to tell you that we are out of time. I'm glad to tell you because bless your heart for being on Eco Radio. You, your voice sounds like it can welcome the break. 
It'll, 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 yes, it's ready for a break. So thank you. I'm busy talking with Bill Moore. He's the editor of EV World, and that's available at evworld.com. So, Bill, I hope that we're able to change the status quo, that we can break. Sometimes I wonder, will we ever break from gasoline-powered machines? And I realize that, yes, we will when the gas is gone. Isn't that the truth? Uh, yes, it'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, you know, you've got countries now that are banning, um, you know, the sale of gasoline-powered vehicles after 2035. New Jersey's the latest. California, I think, uh, Canada, one of the provinces in Canada. So it's happening. We've used it all up. Thank you very much for talking with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. If you or someone you know is suffering from thoughts of suicide, you can dial the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of February 20th, 2023. Democracy Now! reports, in Michigan, 30 miles west of Detroit, a train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed on February 16th, causing more than two dozen rail cars to pile up and triggering fear of a toxic release. Local authority reported one rail car contained liquid chlorine, a highly corrosive chemical. Norfolk Southern said no hazardous materials spilled. The second crash during the month of February 2023 came as Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan visited East Palestine, Ohio, to meet with residents affected by a crash of a Norfolk Southern train carrying vinyl chlorine and other toxic and carcinogenic chemicals. Data released by the Environmental Protection Agency show that train contained more toxic and carcinogenic chemicals than initially reported. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources estimated the spill killed more than 3,500 fish and surrounding waterways, chickens were found dead in their coops, and residents have reported sore throats, burning eyes, and respiratory problems. Tesla has recalled more than 360,000 electric vehicles over the risk posed by their self-driving software. The recall follows several high-file accidents, and others have been subject to recalls, such as the GM Cruise. A team of researchers reports Antarctica's Thwaites Glacier is on the verge of collapse, with warm water seeping under the weakest part of the glacier and melting it from below. Researchers deployed a robotic submarine to penetrate the vast ice sheet, which is roughly the size of Florida. Its collapse could destabilize surrounding glaciers that could raise the Earth oceans by nearly 10 feet. 
Greenpeace activist has disembarked a massive oil vessel after 13 days of occupation. The six activists waved a banner that said, Stop drilling, start paying, calling on Shell and other fossil fuel corporations to take responsibility for their role in climate change and to pay loss and damage funds to help poorer countries who bear the brunt of the global disaster. Inside Climate News Report UN Secretary Antonio Guterres warned sea level rise could drive 1 in 10 people from their homes, a dangerous implication for international peace. He said rising seas are a serious threat requiring a coordinated global response at the highest level and that sea level rise could drive a mass exodus of entire population on a biblical scale. Catherine Huff is head of the Office of Nuclear Energy. She's optimistic about development of small modular reactors and believe it is imperative that the country develops a new generation of nuclear power plants. She said, we need to at least keep the same amount of gigawatts of nuclear on the grid in 2050 as we have today. And since some existing nuclear power plants will be shut down between now and then. That means building new reactors, and she recommends smaller or modular reactor designs. She feels there are a couple of opportunities for locations such as existing nuclear power plant, nuclear power reactor sites, and also retiring and retired coal power sites, which have high voltage power lines at the right capacity for a concentrated baseline power system. Huff said there is one example of this happening now through a DOE program, the Advanced Reactor Demonstration Program. Sticker price for electric vehicles are falling close to the point where they could soon be on par with gasoline vehicles. The price drop is due to increased competition, government incentive, and falling prices for lithium and other materials. Public land in the U.S. have long been available to fossil fuel companies. Now, the lands are being offered to solar companies, causing concern over how local habitats could be impacted. EcoWatch reports. Nitrogen fertilizers are major greenhouse gas emitters, and their impact can be cut with available solutions. A new study from the University of Cambridge-based researchers has calculated these fertilizers' total contribution to the climate crisis for the first time and also revealed how that contribution could be reduced to around a fifth of the current level by 2050. You've probably heard of radiant floor heating for warming floors, but more companies are developing innovative infrared wallpaper that can electrically heat a room with even heat distribution and low utility bills. Under the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which is part of the Inflation Reduction Act, states, tribes, municipalities, and even nonprofits will soon be able to apply for $27 billion in grants funding from a green bank to help finance projects that facilitate the country's transition to renewable energy and reduce pollution according to a press release from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. As the Biden administration rolls
rolls out its promise, 500,000 new electric vehicles, charging stations in 2030. It is taking steps to make sure that any EV drivers can use them. The Department of Transportation, together with the Department of Energy, has published standards for new charging stations receiving federal funds, including that they must work with all brands of vehicles. Kansas Reflector Report. A Spirit Aerosystem executive pleads with the Kansas Senate to dramatically reform membership and operations of the Kansas Corporation Commission based on an assertion that the three-member regulatory body was beholden to interests of utility companies to the detriment of consumers. Wind and solar developers have been pushing projects that are igniting fierce battles over property rights, loss of farmland, climate change, aesthetics, the merits of renewable powers, and a host of other concerns. Sustainability Action Network Newsletter Reports the Rocky Mountain Institute has developed state-level versions of the energy policy simulator to make robust modeling tools and insight freely available through open source. They use the energy policy simulator to uncover five strategies that cut emissions quickly, effectively, and affordably. They are deploying clean electricity, speeding up electric vehicle sales, using electric equipment in buildings, setting industrial emission standards, and slashing methane pollution. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Ooh.